We are in week five of What is Christianity Really? And uh, just trying to peel back the gunk that gets put onto this thing that, that became called Christianity. Uh, it was initially called the way, followers of the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so the very, very first church was known as followers of the way. Um, after a couple of years, they started being made fun of. They were mocked as little Christs or Christians. And so that name just stuck. They uh, turned that around into a compliment and said, yeah, we kind of are like Jesus. We're trying anyway. And, and so if you want to call us a Christian, call us a Christian. And so this movement has now spread to the entire world. It is the largest organized religion on earth and takes various expressions in every community on the, in the world. In fact, in every community, there are different expressions of Christianity. It is this big, wonderful, diverse, some say beautiful thing, some say messy thing, probably a combination of both. But even in our own city, right, there's about 100 churches in our own city, and you can go to various churches and experience entirely different things, even kind of wondering, is, is this all really Christianity? And the answer is yes. It's all very different, all very diverse. And some of that is great, right, because you can kind of customize the message and the mission of Jesus in your own community, your culture, your, your heritage, your background, your language. It's beautiful, right? But sometimes things get packed on sort of that core message and the core lifestyle of Christianity, and it becomes something a little bit different. And so sometimes that diversity can lead to things that could use some peeling back and maybe some throwing away. Because here's the reality. Christianity can be free and full of grace, but Christianity can also be rigid and rules-based, right? Just depends on kind of where you go. It can have two different expressions. Christianity can be incredibly loving and accepting, but Christianity can also be incredibly mean and judgmental, so some stuff's gotta get kind of pulled away. Christianity can be incredibly selfless and generous, but Christianity can also be incredibly self-centered and greedy. That's gotta get stripped away. Christianity can be the rescuer of the abused, and sadly, as you've known and heard, Christianity can also be the abuser. It's gotta be stripped away. Christianity can be a peacemaker seeking unity, but Christianity can also be incredibly divisive and even violent. That's gotta be stripped away. So we're trying to strip some of that stuff away to get to the core of what is Christianity really, and the essence of it is it has to be centered on Jesus. And that's how we started four weeks ago centered on Jesus, what he said we wanna say, what he did we wanna do, and just keep it that simple. And that can sort of you know, play out in various cultures and communities and nations and languages, great, but don't lose that core. It is about Jesus. The second week of our series, we said, well, it's about Jesus, yes, but it's about faith. It's about trusting in Jesus. And faith is not a bunch of you know, doctrines that we have to believe the right way in order to get to heaven. It's just trusting that God does all the work of loving us, forgiving us, accepting us, embracing us, giving us new and eternal life. All by grace, he just does it. And we trust that it's his work, not ours. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Christianity being a community. It's not meant to be a solo relationship, just me and the Lord. No, it's about a community. It's about a family. We are designed to walk this journey together, following Jesus together. Last week, Carissa talked about Christianity being a lifestyle of love. Jesus said, it's about love. If you were to ask Jesus, which somebody did, what is Christianity really? Jesus would say, well, it's about loving God and loving others. He said that very clearly. The original church just landed on that and, it's, and, and, and obsessed on that. This is the great commandment. Love God and love others. Today, we're gonna to talk about a word that we don't say often here at Rancho, and I'll tell you why. It's the word devotion. 
Christianity is devotion. Now, the reason we don't use that word a lot is because we are a grace-based church. We always say Jesus-centered, grace-based, humanitarian church. And so when you're so grace-based, some say hyper-grace, which we say you're welcome. Because we're so hyper-graced, we are a little bit um, gun-shy about talking about things like devotion, obedience, because those have been used and are still being used as kind of weapons to bring guilt upon people, to judge people, to weigh people down. And so we're a little bit gun-shy about those words. But those words are in the Bible, they just have to be properly understood and properly, in our estimation, taught in a way that doesn't create burdens or guilt or shame, and that's not easy. That is not easy. Jesus talks about this a lot. He says this idea of obedience and the idea of devotion could be a burden that he called a yoke, right? I wanna show you a yoke. A yoke is a big, heavy, wooden harness that goes upon an ox. So for those of you who have ox, pretty much most of you have ox, you've got your yoke, and, and you put this on your ox, and you get your plow, and you are going for it, right? You're tilling the soil. It's a heavy burden about doing work, laboring, laboring, and Jesus says, I am here to remove all this. I'm here to remove the heavy burden of, of religious expectations and religious obedience and re religious devotion. Jesus says, I wanna lift all of that off of you. We often reference Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. There was a pastor in the area that wanted to talk about this subject, and um, and I said, hey, listen, following Jesus is easy. And he's like, no, it's about full devotion, all in, hardcore, total surrender. It's, it's like work. And, and I just wanted to say, no, it's not. It is easy to follow Jesus. He said, follow me, and it's easy and light. So for those of us who have been raised in religious environments or have a religious understanding that God wants me all in, fully devoted, obedient, sacrifice to the Holy One and, and give him my all and, and work and work and work because he deserves it and he's worthy and Jesus says, no, following me is easy and light. So as a result, we don't talk about words like devotion and obedience too much, but they are in there. They're in the Bible, they're in the teaching of Jesus. We just have to properly handle those words. So here is a way that the Apostle Paul properly handles both the concept of grace and devotion, because you can hold both at the same time. Grace feels light and easy, devotion feels heavy, right? So how do you carry those both at the same time? Listen to Titus chapter two. For the grace of God has been revealed through Jesus, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godliness, godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. So there it is. Grace and devotion. Grace and devotion. You cannot have devotion without grace. If you have devotion to God without grace, well now you're just working and you're laboring and you're feeling guilt and shame and God is holy and God is perfect and I'm sinful and I'm a wreck and I gotta give him more. I've gotta read the Bible more and go to church more and pray more, right? I've gotta give more and volunteer more. God wants more and more and more. You go to church, you oftentimes hear, hey, God is holy, you are not, do better, right? That's kinda how it goes, that's the whole rhythm, it's the whole system. That's why we have this little, little slogan, it's more than a slogan, but it's like, it's our heart, right? Live free, do good. It's on the mug. Anything on the mug is like, you live by. Live free, do good. So many people are in the do good category, right? 
That's kind of normal religion. It's the way it's been since the dawn of humankind. Do good, do good. God wants you to do more, to be better, to stop doing this and start doing this. Here's the 10 commandments. Here's 603 other commandments. Here's the five-fold path. Here's what you have to do to get to God, to earn his, his favor, to earn his blessing, to get answered prayers. It's just the do good part. And the do, the, the do good part without the live free part is just a disaster. Burdens and heavy. We have to first understand that we are free. We are absolutely free. Only when we know how free we are from the burdens of religion, from this guilt, from this shame, from this notion that we're separated from God somehow, from the notion that God somehow wants anything from us, once we're free from that, then we can do good in a way that brings life without burden. So here's the question of the day. How can we be an uncompromisingly hyper-graced church and still teach devotion to God? Right, that's the question for the day. I think it first has to do with how we carry the word devotion. I think there's three kinds of devotion. The first kind of devotion is a fear-based devotion. Fear-based devotion. Now, some of you might have been raised in a fear-based household. A fear-based household would say, hey, you better do your chores or or else. You better empty those dishes at the right time or else. You better take out that trash at the right time or else. You better not leave a mess around the house or else. It's that or else fear, right? Back in the you know, day, a spoon, a belt, some kind of punishment. It's a fear-based threat of punishment culture. If you were raised in that kind of a house, you know how that feels. Doesn't feel good. Now, you could be devoted. You could do your chores. You can empty the dishwasher. You can take that trash out. So it looks like you're devoted, but it's because you're threatened. And so the heart isn't there. We don't wanna be there. We don't wanna be there. We don't wanna be there in our our homes. We don't wanna be there in our faith. Now, um, I've only been to Rancho Church. I've been here for 42 years. I grew up here from middle school on, and uh, and I love this church for sure. It It was a culture of grace relationally, but a lot of the teaching I got early on teetered on fear based, if not went over the edge. And I was taught, it was just standard teaching at the time, that God requires devotion from us. God is big, God is powerful, right? God is holy, and so he requires our devotion to him. And I was taught about the five disciplines that God requires of me. Read my Bible, pray, go to church, volunteer, serve, and give. Those were the five disciplines of the Christian faith. I was raised in that. And, and as I was raised in this, I'm kind of taught, wow, you know, reading the Bible is great, but if you memorize scripture, that's even better. If you spend more time in the Bible, that's even better. More, more, more. Prayer is great, but morning prayers are kind of better than midday prayers. Getting off on the right foot. More minutes are good. Don't be distracted. Pray. In devotion, pray. Go to church. And there's something very self-serving about pastors, you know, preaching. Go to church, right? Go to church. Come here, whenever the doors are open, come here Sunday, come here midweek, come here Sunday night, whenever the doors are open, come. It'll be good and God requires that kind of devotion. Serving, volunteering, you know, selflessly volunteering, God requires it, giving, sacrificing, generosity, right? God requires your money. These are the things that were taught when I was young. These are the disciplines, this is the devotion that is still taught in church today. Not from a perspective of living free, but just doing good. God requires devotion of us. Now, when I was young, I did all this. And times I didn't do it, 
I said I did it because that was the requirement. You wanted to get pats on the back from pastors, youth pastors, children's pastors, whatever. At the time, do your stuff. Memorize that Bible. Say those prayers, right? At the time, we were doing some homework, and I was doing the homework, like in the car, on the way, just thrashing it together so I could tell the pastor, I did my Bible homework, right? Pats on the back. It was just the whole culture, right? The whole culture of doing, doing, doing. Yet, the message of Jesus is that we're free. We're free from that burden. Here's what it says in Colossians 2, I love it. You've died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. The spiritual powers of this world are the religious powers that tell you you're not good enough. You need to do more. You need to be more devoted. Those are the spiritual powers of the world. And I know that because that's the first part of Colossians 2. It tells you exactly where those spiritual powers come from. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Right, in most religious environments about don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. You could do that, 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 but don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, right? Don't have premarital sex that could lead to uh, uh, gambling. You know, whatever, whatever the rules are. Tons of rules, right? Just the, the do's and don'ts. And it's all fear-based because we want everybody to behave. We want everybody to comply. We want to look like we have it all together. We want to look like we're fully devoted. Goes on. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they are no help. And do you know what the Apostle Paul, who wrote this chapter, is referring to? He's referring to people who use the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, to put burdens on people. Do more, do more, do more. Be better, be better, be better. Burden, burden, burden. He's saying, you're free from all of this. You're free. These religious rules are human teachings, right? Religious rules deteriorate over time and they don't do any good anyway. I mean, how many people that you know, and maybe this is you, you grew up in a strict religious environment, but when you turned, I don't know, 15, 16, 17, it's like, I forget this and I'm out. And that's why so many people leave the church is because it's just do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts. And then you realize that even sometimes the, the leadership of the church does the don'ts and doesn't do the do's, right? And you realize this whole thing just kind of is hypocritical anyway, right? Here's some things to really settle in our brains. And I'm telling you, I, I urge you to get these things settled in your brains. If you live in this world of burden and guilt and shame, understand this, God doesn't need anything from us. Not one thing. Not one bit of devotion. God doesn't need any of it. You might think, well, well that's kind of strange. I mean, doesn't God need our worship? Doesn't God need our, us to go to church and need us to read the Bible and pray? Doesn't, no, he doesn't need any of it. Acts 17, 24. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands. I can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. Pretty simple, right? He's God. He made the cosmos. And how many more cosmos are out there? I don't know, I haven't counted. But there, I mean, he's God. And are we gonna think that we are so important that he needs something from us? I mean, that is kind of laughable, right? God doesn't need anything. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every needs. God is only the needs satisfier. He is not 
the one who is in need. So important for us to understand because a lot of religious thinking is that God is this insecure, um, needy being who requires things from us. He requires worship. He requires to be honored. He requires obedience. He requires devotion. I mean, isn't that demeaning of God? God doesn't need anything from us. I'm gonna double down on this. God doesn't want anything from us. God has no needs and, and God really doesn't want anything from us. If God wanted something, that means he has some gap in his being that wanted something he didn't have. That means God is not self-sufficient. He doesn't want anything from us. But what he does want is the best for us. God doesn't need anything from us. God doesn't want anything from us, but he does want the best for us. Isn't that kind of cool? Isn't that a great way to think about God? He is perfect. He is holy for sure, but he is self-sufficient. He's fine. He doesn't need our devotion. He doesn't even want our devotion. What he wants is the best for us. One of the most famous passages in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. So here's the nation of Israel thousands of years ago really making a mess of their own world and God is saying, listen, everything I do is for you. Not fear-based, but for you. I want the best for you. 1 John 4, 18 puts it this way. There is not fear in God's love because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows us that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. There is no fear in love. God does not want anything from us. He doesn't need anything from us. So let's get rid of this fear-based devotion idea. There's another form of devotion that's not nearly as bad as fear-based, but it's not the best. It's called reward-based devotion. Reward-based devotion. So uh, for those of you who are raised in a reward-based house, it means you probably got an allowance, right? You do your chores, you do them on time, you do them right, you get an allowance, you get paid. If you get good grades, you might get a, a, a cash reward. Hey, you got good grades, here's some, some cash, let's go on a trip. It's a reward-based relationship. Uh, it's not as bad as fear-based at all, but it's still not the best. Now, in reality, Jesus himself talks about reward, and the Bible talks about reward. So the idea of reward is in here, eternal rewards. I have no idea what those eternal rewards are. The Bible doesn't say but the Bible does say, Jesus does teach that there will be some kind of reward. So our lives do matter um, and reward will come at some point, you know, we're in eternity and I think God is very much looking forward to saying, hey, listen, you did really well here, 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 and here and I just wanna bless you with some eternal thing. I have no idea what it is. Probably not a thing, who knows, who has any idea? But it is a concept in the Bible of reward. Here's what Jesus says. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. So God does not reward us based on things we do necessarily, but the motive of our heart. So Jesus says, if you give gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. So the Sermon on the Mount is about giving in private and praying in private and all acts of charity in private. In other words, don't, do things to get approval. And you know that person, right, who's always talking about their prayer life and talking about how much they read the Bible. And it's like, okay, well, you got your reward. You get a little golf clap. You know, that's fantastic. 
God's saying, I'm not sure the heart's quite there, right? So our devotion, in some respects, you know, can be a little bit reward-based. There's some reward waiting for us, but the best possible kind of devotion is grace-based devotion. Not fear-based, not reward-based, but grace-based devotion, where you do something purely for the love of it. That's where this live free, do good idea really matters when we understand that we are free from the burdens, religious burdens, we're free from guilt and free from the commands and free from shame, we're free from it all. God just loves us fully and perfectly. In his eyes, you are perfect. He accepts you just as you are. There's nothing you or I can do to earn anything from God. He just fully embraces us, fully loves us, fully forgives us, and is fully committed to us and to our best. That's living free. No guilt, no shame, no burden. Once we're free, we can be devoted to God purely for the love of it. Purely for the love of it. So let me ask you, um, what do you love to do? What's a hobby you love to do? Just pick something, right? What do you love to do? For some of you, you are pickleball maniacs that is sweeping the nation. Everybody's having a good time with that. Some of you love to play music. These folks up here love to play music. You love to play music. Maybe you love to listen to music. Maybe you like reading. Maybe decorating, gardening, playing sports, uh, playing with your kids or grandkids, watching sports. What do you love doing? I guarantee you, no one has to threaten you to do what you love, right? To have you do what you already love, I guarantee you don't even need a reward for doing what you love, right? Like, nobody's gotta pay me to do things I love. Now, I mean, you can, <laughs> but I don't need it. So it's all grace-based, devotion, that is purely grace-based, just for the love of it, is the goal. How about a grace-based household where everybody does their job and their house just for the love of it? So every Saturday morning, your kids wake up and say, oh, mother, father, I would love to go pull weeds because just as my contribution to the household and for the love of my family. <laughs> All right, we're human beings, right? So every once in a while, we might need some other kinds of devotion, but... Um, the goal is grace-based devotion, purely for the love of it. It's no secret I love the game of golf. I have since I was 16. I got my driver's license. I lived here in uh, Temecula. At the time, it was called Rancho California. And uh, there was not a whole lot to do. It was kind of hillbilly out here. And, uh, but there was a golf course, TCI, and another one in Canyon Lake. And they were desperate to get players. And so they said, hey, listen, if you are under the age of 18, you get to play for two bucks. So every weekend, me and my buddies would go play golf. And we would just play for fun, you know, racing golf carts and doing very irresponsible things, um, you know, a cheap Saturday morning. Um, but I really got into it. I got hooked. My buddies were just casual golfers. I got hooked. I studied golf, and I loved it. Um, I bought golf magazines. Most of you don't know what a magazine is. It's a bunch of papers with print and <laughs> pictures stapled together, and you actually look through these things. It was before the internet, right? And so I bought golf magazines and studied golf magazines and went out and tried it and drilled and I drilled and I drilled. The short game, the putting game, long game, iron game, all of it, just studied it, studied it, studied it. Nobody had to threaten me to go to the golf course. I got a job at TCI, set the pins in the morning, went to school, and then after school would play almost every day and would drill, drill, drill. Then um, we had kids. Um, and uh, my wife stayed at home, and I was a youth pastor, and we were dirt poor, stopped playing golf, didn't have the time, didn't have the money. And then a hero emerged. His name was Moose Miller, elder here at Rancho Church, former FBI agent under Hoover, six foot eight. He comes up to me, Treadway, you're playing golf? 
every Monday morning and I'm buying. And he had some, not a problem with personal space like right here. I said, okay, Mr. Miller, I'm going to play golf with you. He says, I'm paying for it. I said, well, I'll, I, here we go. Every Sunday morning, first out, Monday morning, first out, uh, I'd play with Ms. Miller. And it was awesome. It allowed me to get back into the game and I have been you know, obsessed uh, ever since. If we love something, we will do it. That's the idea when it comes to devotion to God. Uh, to be so thrilled with his love for us, to be so enthralled with this idea that, that I'm fully loved by God, that he fully embraces me, that he doesn't see any fault in my life. All he sees is a perfect child and, and that he wants the best for me and that he's given me some gifts. He's giving me some gifts to kind of help me along the way. He's given me things like the Bible and prayer and church and service and the ability to be generous, but from a whole different point of view. So we're gonna spend our, our, our final five minutes together and go back through those five things that were once a burden for me. You have to do these things. How does that look like now through the lens of grace? Let's talk about Bible reading, Bible reading. It used to be that I thought God wanted me to read the Bible and needed me to read the Bible to kind of please him, right? God is displeased if I didn't read the Bible. Well, here's kind of a funny thing. I think it's funny. You for sure will not. <laughs> the Bible never teaches us to read the Bible. Did you know that? Because when the Bible was written, there was no such thing as a book to take home and read. It just wasn't. Most of it's oral tradition that was much later written down. There was no such thing as reading the Bible until about the 16th century, the Bible finally got printed, but then nobody could actually read it because most of the planet was illiterate. So really, the Bible never says to read the Bible. It says to have the word in our heart, but never says to read the Bible. So here's the deal. If we own a Bible, we're in bonus territory. If you open it up at all, you're in mega bonus territory, right? So let's give ourselves a little bit of a break here. Here's how to read the Bible in my humble opinion. Don't read the Bible left to right. Believe me, if you start in the Old Testament, it's not gonna be very good. Um, seriously, I've done it a million times. Start with the New Testament. Start with the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Obsess on Jesus, 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 Jesus. Read that over and over again until you have a pretty good grasp on the major themes of Jesus' life and Jesus' teaching. Once you're done with that, get through the rest of the New Testament that tries its best to apply the teaching and lifestyle of Jesus, right, into the church life. Only when you've really got the teaching of Jesus kind of nailed and the life of Jesus nailed would I suggest reading the Old Testament, which is the Jewish scripture. The Jewish scripture will tell you the context in which Jesus was born. That's what the Jewish scripture of the Old Testament will teach you. And then you'll know a lot of why Jesus taught what he taught and did what he did. Anywho, Bible reading, it's a tool for us to read, it's bonus. We've got it in print, right? And we have it in our house. Um, there's no you know, absolute gold standard of how much to read or you know, when to read. Read it when you want, digest however much you want, but really take it in the heart, right? Live free, do good. How about prayer? Prayer is the most accessible of all the devotions, right? Because it's just right here. We can pray anytime, anywhere. It's just in our brains. Thoughts of God in our brains. That's what prayer is. Thoughts of God in our brains. Super simple, could be super short, could be anytime, day or night. Most of the time being awake is helpful for it. Um, but just think thoughts of God. Thanking God for who he is. Thanking God for uh, you know, uh, all that we have and all that we enjoy. Trying to align our hearts with the heart of God and maybe have our heart break for the things that break God's heart. And so you know, all over the world there are 
people who are you know, dying in senseless wars and innocent people are being slaughtered. And so through prayer to just align our heart with the grieving heart of God there. And then to align our heart through prayers with the, the things that are going great in this world. This world is heading in a really great place in terms of humanitarianism and love and unity. There's some terrible spots in there, but this world's heading in a good place, right? Thank God for that. Aligning our hearts with the heart of God, that's what prayer is. There is no magic formula for prayer. Morning is not better than midday or night. The number of minutes, the number of seconds doesn't matter. Um, Jesus gave us a little sort of example of prayer that was 17 seconds long. So for those of us who think, well, longer prayers are better, the prayer that Jesus told us to pray, the, the Lord's Prayer, is 17 seconds long, right? So we got this, we can do this. That's grace-based prayer. How about church? I've always loved church, I was raised in this church, so I'm a little bit biased here. I think this church is really cool, right? I was, uh, you know, grew up through middle school and high school here. I first started volunteering here, and then they offered me this tiny little stipend to do this junior high thing, and I loved it. And then uh, just over time, it became my vocation. I love this place. Church is a community, it's a family that just honestly engages each other in life and in faith and in building relationships and connection. And if somebody falls, we're here to pick them up and dust them off and say, we still love you. Let's go to better places, right? That's the church, grace-based church. Volunteering, serving, grace-based serving is yes to meet a need. So I'll give you one example. We've got the special needs prom coming up, one enchanted evening. We need hundreds of volunteers every single year. When we first got started, it's like, hey, church, literally hundreds, we need hundreds of you. Like, do this, sign up. And, and sometimes in, in the world of, of special needs, it can be uncomfortable some, for some people, but they just said, okay, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna help, it's one night. They get addicted to that thing. And now, I mean, volunteers just come out of the woodwork for one enchanted evening because it's become a love. So what might start as a little bit of a, all right, maybe, all right, uh, I'll, I'll do it, becomes a pure joy. Live free, do good. Find the spot to volunteer. And then finally, giving. Giving, generously giving of our resources. It could be such a burden, right? God demands the tithe. God demands 10%. No, he doesn't, and he never has. What God wants us to do is to give out of a charitable heart with no compulsion other than the compulsion to do something good together, to love together, to help people in need together. And so whatever we give, whatever we can afford, whatever we plan, give with a cheerful heart. Second Corinthians eight and nine, that's all God wants. Live free, do good. I want you to just think about these five things that we can call devotion. Reading the Bible, prayer, participating in church, volunteering and giving. Which of those might you be able to say out of just the pure joy of it, I think I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna maybe pray a little bit and read the Bible a little bit, give a little bit, serve a little bit. Just pick one of these things that we call devotion and say with a live free, do good heart. Let me take one next step. What would that step be? As we talked about this earlier, your life will simply be better because these are gifts that God gave us for our benefit. God needs nothing. God wants nothing from us. He just wants everything for us. Evan, we're gonna close in a song here as we do quite oft. Um, singing a song called Blessings Every Day. Uh, did you abbreviate often? <laughs> <laughs>
That's right. Throw it's, it out. It's the King James office. That's amazing. Very That's, spiritual. I love it a lot. <laughs> um, yes, blessings everywhere. Um, and, and this song specifically is just talking about God has made this life for us. He's yeah. given us this life to enjoy. Yeah. And so in everything that we go through, of course, all things aren't great. Blessings, it says, in the yes, blessings in the no. Yeah. Blessings in the highs and blessings in the lows. Um, it, but just to be able to find this, this enjoyment that God has given yeah. us in every season, this contentment. Um, in the bridge, it talks about come now, sun, sunrise, and open my eyes. And it's, it's a prayer to say, God, show me. Let, let me see, let me see, just like the sunrise, let me see these blessings yeah. everywhere they are. And when we get to that part, I would encourage you, that's the live free part, right? The sun is rising and this new life is emerging. No burden, no guilt, no shame, no heavy laden. God wants something from me or needs something from me. He doesn't, he just wants the best for us and he's given us these treasures, right? He's given us the word, given us prayer, given us each other to just be able to say, God, help me to remember your goodness and your grace. As we go through the song, it's a little bit of a quieter song. Just have a spirit of prayer. And just thank God for who he is. Thank God for his blessings in your life. And, uh, and just soak it in, all right? Blessings in the no, blessings everywhere I go. 
Every 